today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. One of the more controversial debates that have been going on ever since the uh, the pandemic started and the lockdowns started, and I'm talking about on a global basis, is uh, pubs and restaurants. You know, are they a breeding ground? Are they a spreader uh, for the virus itself? And uh, you're going to get some very strong opinions on both sides. Well, science has stepped in, and uh, University of Stirling in Stirling, uh, Scotland, has actually done a study about this, uh, whether or not pubs can effectively prevent COVID-19 as a transmission risk. Uh, joining us to talk about this is uh, Professor Neve Fitzgerald, who's the director of the University of Stirling's Institute for Social Marketing and Health. Uh, Professor, thank you so much for the time. Pleasure to have you on the program today. Many thanks for having me. This is important data, and I, I, because simply, it's always one of the more contentious points when we go to lockdowns, and I know the UK's uh, going through this uh, here in Ontario and Canada here. We just finished our second one, and we're kind of worried, as everyone else does, about a possible third lockdown here because of the uh, the variants in the virus right now. Uh, and, but, but the debate has always raged. No, you know, if we take proper precautions in these facilities, everything is going to be fine. So I'm glad that uh, that you and your staff at the university decided to actually do some, some uh, substantive data uh, investigation in this and get some data talk to us about uh, about how you did this and what we're finding yeah so i guess what i would say first of all is just acknowledge that we didn't we didn't actually gather data on transmissions within the premises no. we were really interested in the level of risk um so we first of all before premises reopened last summer after the initial uk lockdown we interviewed people with expertise from the trade and um, asked them what they felt the challenges would be before they reopened. And then we went into a diverse sample of 29 bars uh, around Scotland in July and August last year, um, anonymously with pairs of uh, field workers posing as customers. And they spent a couple of hours in each of the premises and they just observed the changes that had been made and, and how the government guidance around reducing risk of COVID transmission was working. No, we should have, I assume, I guess, Professor, that uh, when these places reopened, they were doing it uh, within the parameters that were established by the government. So you can do this, but, uh, and, and that includes things like, you know, the number of people that are allowed in the establishment, uh, where they're allowed to stand, sit, whatever the case might be. There was a protocol that was in place, right? Yeah, so there was government guidance in place, and I guess one of the issues was that that did kind of change over the summer. So there were some important changes after a large outbreak linked to multiple licensed premises in Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland. So there was some, I think, potential for confusion on the part of operators as to what the measures were in place because they were changing. But nonetheless, some of the measures were really clear. So there was a lot of um, debate early in the summer around about whether pubs would be allowed to open with two metres distancing between people or whether they would be allowed to have one metre distancing between people. And the compromise that was reached was that you could have one metre distancing but only under certain conditions. Um, so, for example, people were supposed to be seated, uh, tables had to be one metre apart, um, and there were some conditions around ventilation and noise control within the premises as well. Staff were in, required to wear face coverings. If you mm -hmm. wanted to go with one metre, you had to have kind of extra, extra measures in place. What was the reaction from from the owners, from the operators of the establishments themselves? I mean, this this was not business as usual, certainly, and, and it required a, a great deal of, of modifications, I guess, to a lot of these facilities. Uh, were they were they apprehensive about this? Uh, were they hopeful that this was going to work out? What was what was the general reaction? Yeah, so in our interviews, uh, the general sense was that businesses were really keen to work within the government guidance. You know, they told us that, they, that it was really important for them to be able to operate safely. You know, if they weren't safe, customers maybe wouldn't want to come back. But they also acknowledged that there would be challenges for them. So in particular, commercial challenges around uh, getting that balance right. So if they implemented um, measures in such a way that the environment within their premises appeared a bit sterile, 
the customers maybe also wouldn't want to come back on that basis. So there was a risk of kind of compromising the essential social character of premises um, if the measures were, were implemented, uh, if, if some of the measures were very strict or were, were implemented uh, fully. We'll get into compliance in just a couple of seconds, but just the other side of that coin then, uh, when, the, when the doors finally did reopen, Professor, uh, what was the public reaction? Did they flood back in there? Were they apprehensive? Were the numbers down? Uh, so I would imagine that the numbers were down, but we didn't study that particularly. Um, there were some uh, uh, premises were asked to limit their capacity so that they could sure. you know, to calculate how many people they could let in and still have this new distance in place. So, so for many of them, that meant operating at half capacity or, or mm-hmm. lower. Yeah, which would be one of the parameters. But, I mean, we've talked to some operators and, and quite frankly, some patrons uh, who have yet to step inside a bar uh, since the first wave, simply saying, I I don't think it's safe yet. If I'm going to have a a, a pint or whatever, I'll do it at home, thank you very much. But uh, So that's that's always interesting to see just what kind of response that uh, those people do. Yeah, because it probably speaks to, to how safe they feel in that environment. Yeah, I think so. So I would say we've had a lot of reaction to the study this week when it's been published and, and several people have kind of said, oh, thanks for your study. Actually, I've been in a premises and I've left because I didn't feel safe. Or we've actually had um, some, uh, not not the majority, I would say, but there's been a few people who actually run premises who have said, thank you. I actually agree with everything you found in your study and, and it's really in line with what I observed as a, as an owner as well. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, because uh, under the report here, uh, well, the heading here is incidents, and I think we need to talk about that, and it, it falls into compliance, I suppose, uh, that we talked about just a couple of seconds ago. Uh, once the door is open, once the protocol is set in place, uh, the only way it's going to work, our, our experts tell us, of course, uh, Professor, is compliance. You know, you have to adhere to the separation, the social separation. Uh, you have to stand, uh, which a lot of people were very nervous about in, in the first place, because uh, the, the, the very character of a lot of these establishments of course is is to is to mingle to wander around you know hang around at the bar and and go from one table to another and of course that's that's not allowed under these circumstances uh where was everybody playing by the rules yeah so everybody wasn't playing by the rules and i think it's because it was quite difficult as you say particularly for those premises where the the social character of the premises was one of mingling standing moving between tables of of drinking alcohol um, we found that, uh, you know, in a substantial minority of premises, um, especially where people were, you know, maybe a little bit tipsy or had drunk some alcohol, uh, that there was still mim- mingling. There was still people hugging, you know, others who were clearly not in their household, putting their arms around staff or singing and shouting, you know, over prolonged periods. So uh, it wasn't in the majority of premises that we saw these kind of more serious incidents, but, um, but it was there in a significant minority. So inebriation was a factor. Absolutely, yeah. In most of the more serious incidents that um, that our field workers observed, um, they judged that the customers involved were intoxicated or, or drunk. I mean, the the interpretation of that is um, it means different things to different people, but they were under the influence of alcohol. Sure, and and and, and of course, well, we we can probably speak for hours now about the influence of alcohol on on, on common sense and, and on judgment, and, and that seems to be one of the factors. But when that happens, and I know you touched on this in the report. Uh, it puts greater pressure on the on the, the staff of the, of the establishment and certainly the management uh, to do something about this, either the compliance or whatever the case might be. Uh, what were the reaction? I mean, if, if in fact a situation like that arose, and as you say, it, it did in a number of establishments, how was it handled by the staff? 
So we had one example only of um, of staff really handling an incident after a football match that was shown on the screens in the bar where people were sing- broke into kind of singing and shouting and that was really nipped in the bud and, and just wiped, you know, stopped by the staff. There were other examples where staff kind of tried in a light-hearted way to intervene, but it was totally ineffective in, in stopping the customer behaviour. And, and uh, actually, in a lot of cases, there was no attempt at staff intervention at all. And sometimes um, staff were complicit in, in the behaviours that, that were involved. As we mentioned, the, the, the very nature and, 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 and construction, I guess, of some of these establishments presents its own set of challenges, of course. And uh, anybody who spent any time in, in, in a pub or a bar pre pandemic of course understands that there are in, in, in any establishment yet there are pinch points whether it's you know the, the the hallway down to the washrooms or you know by the bar whatever the case might be where there's going to be human contact and the, the possibility of social distancing is is probably nil at that stage uh, was there a lot of that yeah so we find that in most of the premises I think I suppose where where this gets tricky is that that's probably very similar to shops and to cafes and to other places that, oh, sure. that are not bars that we didn't observe. Whereas actually the more serious incidents we that we felt were alcohol related um, uh, and about people kind of moving around and hugging strangers and things, those were quite specific to licensed premises. So so undoubtedly both pose a risk. Um, uh, and I you know I I'm not an epidemiologist in terms of knowing which of those risks we should be more worried about, you know, the smaller risks that, that, and, and the kind of chance encounters in a corridor that, um, that happened in more premises or, or the kind of minority of premises where there were clearly, you know, physical contact within, with, between customers over a longer period. But, um, but clearly, uh, you know, there are risks of opening up any public space. But what we were really interested in was how that might be different in licensed premises. Exactly, and and you use the example, of course, of a crowd watching a football game on, on the big screen TV there. And I know that our medical offices of health are telling us here that you know no singing allowed in bars, no yelling, uh, because obviously of the, of the, the, the contact of and and the, you know the fact that you know, you don't have a mask on while you're drinking beer, so that happens. So, uh, and, and I, I suppose to ask the patrons not to sing or to yell and scream when they're watching a football game is is a, a rather onerous task. Yes, it is. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of uh, owners, especially those that are uh, running, I suppose, bigger businesses, have invested quite heavily in training staff and in training staff on how to handle these new incidents. But perhaps the smaller operators, um, it's just a little bit trickier for them. And, you know, if they're if they are family businesses or smaller businesses for them to keep on top of the guidance and also for them to have the funding at such a difficult time to invest in, in training in training those staff. Um, the other thing I think that that's important there is that um, that, it, that it's just tricky to be consistent in that. So, the, you know, premises told us that we're we're used to dealing with drunk people, and you know, we'll throw them out. They shouldn't be drunk in our premises anyway, and we we would throw them out, and that's our business. That's what we're experts at. But actually, the the practicalities of that are tricky. So, if you actually physically have to remove somebody from your premises post COVID. The risks for that individual member of staff, whether it's the security member of staff or in a lot of bars, they don't have security staff. It's just the, the bar staff. How are they physically to remove that person without putting themselves at risk? You know, then they are needing to get in close contact with that customer who's drunk to to ask them to leave. So, so I think, you know, the techniques involved in terms of diffusing those situations and actually, you know, preventing the risk are, are not easy and, and maybe not the same techniques as would have been used previously with someone who was drunk and disorderly. 
Yeah, exactly. In other words, you know, why why are you asking us to do the policing here? That's not our job. I'm a server, and I've heard that from a number of patrons and and staff in, in the establishments over here too. But one of the other ones uh, that that seems to be predominant in the discussions we've had about it over here, Professor, uh, is the staff safety. Uh, a lot of apprehension from staff members, servers, etc. That you know, do I really want to put myself in this environment? I mean, you know, am I putting myself at higher risk? Did you did any of that when you were doing the study? Yeah, so I did certainly have um, people that we interviewed who were concerned about the safety of their staff. They mentioned that some of their staff needed to shield, you know, they, they had particular yeah. vulnerabilities that they might not feel comfortable coming back to work. So they're definitely concerned about the welfare of their staff. But I think there was that maybe hasn't translated into the kind of um, campaigning at the national level that has, has carried on, which, uh, you know, I've experienced quite a negative reaction from, from sections of the trade saying, you know, almost as if, you're pointing out things that we just don't want to hear. We don't want anyone saying that pubs are not safe. And I suppose, in fairness, pointing to the fact that pubs are just one small part of the picture and that there's, you know, that there isn't, uh, that we don't have sort of test and trace data that tracks a lot of infections back to licensed premises, which is a fair point to make, I think, and mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see that. But I guess in the context where the government have limited levers at their disposal, it comes down to, you know, what do they believe the public values the most when it comes to, you know, a slow release of lockdown measures? You know, what are they going to take the risks with first? And, do they, and I guess here they've made it clear that, you know, they want to open schools first, that they see that as being a bigger priority than opening some other sectors. And, and it's difficult, you know, there will be different judgments made by different governments, I think, as to uh, when the public mood is right to accept, because no, no premises is, low, is no risk, you know, whether it's a school or a pub or a supermarket, there's always some risk. Mm-hmm. So it's when that risk becomes acceptable versus the benefits that we get from that premises being opened. I mean, you can understand why some people in the industry might be a little reticent to even look at, uh, at uh, some of your conclusions here, uh, because if, if the conclusion is drawn that, you know what, it's not really that safe, uh, that morphs into discussions about blanket closures, or curfews, uh, you know, we, we close at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or things of that nature, uh, which are going to be somewhat problematic, obviously, to the business people. But has that discussion taken place? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I guess some of the media headlines have been somewhat unhelpful in that they've implied that we have recommended these blanket closures. I guess the point that we've made is that it's more likely that governments will choose these blanket measures if they if we cannot control the risks um, as they currently exist. And I suppose uh, that that's where uh, we don't know what the risks are going to be in future or how things might have changed since we did our observations last summer. And the governments have, you know, have that difficult task of, of kind of trying to predict where do we think we're at with this and, and what's the likelihood of risk? And that's what we were trying to help them uh, understand. And, and there will undoubtedly have been learning since last summer when it was still all very new. Um, but uh, but I think it just illustrates, you know, not to blame licensed premises here, but that actually they have quite a difficult task on their hands in terms of controlling and this in an environment where, where alcohol is being served. Well, it's a it's a fascinating study, and I think it gives us a, a, a snapshot here as to what's happening. Uh, how useful will this this information be, though, as governments come out of this? I mean, you know, we talked about the, the situation in the UK right now, and 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 the variant viruses, and the concern, the global concern, really, about what's happening right now. Uh, and we always, as as the Prime Minister has talked about, and as First Minister Sturgeon has talked about in Scotland, you've got to balance that against the economic impact like that. So it's it, the debate rages, but uh, this is this has got to be important, and it's something I think that needs to be part of that debate. Yeah, and I think it is. I mean, I think uh, governments have 
sometimes publicly come out and talked about the risks in relation to alcohol consumption and, and, and the risks of hospitality um, as a result. Other times um, they've kind of skirted around the issue. We haven't seen much discussion at all, for example, of um, whether some of the motivations for, say, curfews in the UK have been uh, to reduce pressure on ambulance services so there would be less uh, call-outs related to, you know, people after they maybe come out of licensed premises and they're mixing on the streets, you know, that generates a certain mm-hmm. level of, of pressure on the health services. Um, so so I think, you know, that side of things hasn't been discussed much. So it, it's difficult to know, but I guess I, I would hope that uh, what the study will do is just, um, I think, uh, Raise, it, raise the level of discussion above a kind of black and white, you know, pubs are safe versus pubs are not safe. I think it's that sort of understanding that, it, that it's challenging and that we need to really look at how we can support premises to, to reduce the risk. And if we can't reduce the risk to an acceptable level and we value um, the, the continued viability of those businesses, then what support the government should be providing to make sure that they can at some point in the future reopen, even if it's not right now. But that's been part of the discussion, part of the problem, I guess, with the discussion to this point anyway, isn't it, Professor, that, uh, you know, is our school safe, our pub safe, our, you know, whatever. Uh, and a lot of the information that we're basing those decisions on politically anyway is based on, on anecdotal data. Uh, at least we've got some hard and fast information here from, from the work that you've done here, and I'm, I'm hoping that's going to be part of the discussion going forward. Uh, a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you so much for the great work that you and your staff have done on this, and, and thank you, uh, Professor, for the time today. Greatly appreciate it. Many thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Take care. That's uh, Professor Neve Fitzgerald, of course, Director of the University of Stirling's Institute for Social Marketing and Health in Stirling, Scotland. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.